Hello and welcome to the GP Excellence Podcast. This episode comes from the Greater Manchester Primary Care Board Delivery Team and we'll be sharing our experiences about the Community Pharmacy Consultation Service, or CPCS, which was launched in 2020. This webinar was recorded in July 2022. We hope you find this a really useful conversation and we'd love it if you could share it with your colleagues so as many people as possible hear it. And remember to follow or subscribe for free through your podcast provider so you don't miss an episode. I'm Joanna Bircher, your host for this episode. I'm a GP in Staleybridge and Clinical Director of the GP Excellence Programme in Greater Manchester. Joining me today are Lovejit Kandula, Director of Pharmacy Transformation for Greater Manchester Local Pharmaceutical Committee. She's been really involved with the development and the rollout of the CPCS, working alongside general practices and community pharmacists to help us work together to make it work. I'm also joined by two people who use the service regularly. Courtney Kenworthy is the lead administrator for Hollingwood Medical Practice in Oldham, and Russell Nolan is a community pharmacist at St Chad's Pharmacy, also in Oldham. Welcome all of you and thank you for sharing your expertise today. So, Lovejit, let's start with you. Can you tell us some of the background to the service? Yeah, thanks, Joanna. The NHS CPCS um, Community Pharmacy Consultation Service is a nationally commissioned service. It was launched in 2019 and initially electronic referrals from NHS 111 were made to community pharmacies for patients with minor illness or urgent supply. So in the next stage, this pathway was expanded to include general practice and there was a series of pilots across the country throughout 2019 and 20 and then the decision was made to commission GPCPCS as a national service in November 2020. So very briefly, what is GPCPCS? It's a pathway that general practice can use to refer patients with minor illness to a community pharmacist. And this referral has to be done through a secure IT referral mechanism, which we have agreed in Greater Manchester as an EMIS integrated module for EMIS practices and farm refer for non-EMIS practices. And the patient will then be clinically assessed by a community pharmacist. They will use NICE CKS guidelines and the summary care record and, and provide an appropriate consultation outcome. But only patients are electronically referred from general practice to community pharmacy are eligible for this service. So in terms of where we are at the moment, I'm very pleased to say we've got 81% of practices now in um, live in Greater Manchester and 96% of practices in Greater Manchester are engaged in the process to go live. And to date, we've done um, approximately 16,000 referrals have been completed successfully. And last month, we did just over 3,000. And good news is Bolton and Wigan are 100% live now. So we've made some really um, great progress progress thanks to all our colleagues across the system in general practice and in community pharmacy. The GPCPCS working group who've been deploying and implementing the project is um, from GMRPC CHL um, Bolton and we work very closely with NHS England, the primary care board, um, the DMOG where the locality leads it and many other governance structures to ensure that the process was agreed. Yeah oh, that's brilliant Lovejit. I mean it's really difficult to roll out something new and help and for us all to remember that it exists and what to do with it and all the rules so I want to take it to a really kind of practical level now and go to Courtney so you see kind of lead a reception area um, in a general practice so right kind of at the front line can you talk us through 
um, kind of what you do, what that patient journey is from from when they they contact the practice from your practice perspective? Yeah, of course. So um, obviously a patient contacts either a telephone, they come down to the surgery. Uh, we identify what the problem is. And obviously from our knowledge, we decide whether that could be obviously a, a problem that can be referred to the pharmacist or if it obviously if it is needed to be seen by a doctor. So um, we identify a suitable patient, we fill in the referral to one um, that's online and then we send that off to the pharmacist for the pharmacy then to contact the patient. So that's brilliant. So a couple of questions. How do you know who's suitable? What kind of rules do you use? Yeah, so like minor ailments, things that don't quite need the doctor but still need something. So things like maybe hay fever, um, things like fredworm, head lice some cases of like thrush and things like that, just your things that, you know, there is a problem there, but maybe it can be bought over the counter, it can be seen for a pharmacist okay. and it's not needing like kind of urgent attention. Brilliant. So experienced receptionists kind of know all that and get that pretty well. I heard that you need to get um, consent from the patients um, before you do this referral, because clearly they've contacted the practice because they thought they needed kind of input from a GP probably so how, how do you go about doing that and um, so we just ask the patient usually you know nine out of ten patients they're just happy that you're still continuing that care for them so we are carrying on you know our services by referring them elsewhere so we're not ending it asking them to call another number we're not saying we can't see you we're just saying obviously that problem it can be seen by a pharmacist are you happy for us to refer you nine times out of ten people are happy to be referred to a pharmacist so if it feels very positive and you get that consent just in the phone call over the phone. Can I go to you, Love Because I know quite a lot of practices are using kind of online systems when the patient isn't necessarily phoning the practice. Have you got any kind of thoughts about what, what practices might do about consent in that situation? Yeah, thanks, Joanna. Um, during the training, we do actually have a slide on embedding this process into your business as usual. And that's really important. So you think of this as an additional option for you within your existing pathways. With in regards to online consultation, um, there's a couple of options. You you can actually, um, some practices are using a text message, um, for, you know, kind of option. So they actually text the patient and ask them to confirm the pharmacy of their choice. And that's a really good way to do it because you, you, you're not having to phone the patient but there's other practices that do actually phone the patient back depending on what processes they've got so those are the two main options that I feel that that practices are using to gain that consent easily especially if you're on e-consult or something and you don't necessarily want to ring the patient. Okay so this might be some just process things for practices to think about if they're using electronic triage say in terms of how to get that consent. So, I mean, it sounds like you've had pretty positive experiences, Courtney. What, what have you, what have been the benefits to your reception team and to your patients at Hollingwood? Um, so the benefits are obviously more appointments for more urgent things, things that don't need, that do need to be seen more urgently than the more minor things. Patient satisfaction, we're continuing the care for them. You know, like I said previously, we're not just saying go elsewhere, we're continuing that care, yeah. we're offering another service. Um, we're dealing with the problem. Um, yeah, that's just, it has been really positive. So it sounds like it, you feel like you're doing something more active for them when, say, in the old time, I'd say, oh, I think you can just see the pharmacist about that. This just feels a little bit more like you still care. 
Definitely. And the fact that we're doing the referral as well, we're not kind of saying, oh, can you just nip down to the pharmacy? Can you call the pharmacist? It seems a bit more official that there's actually a form in place. We're letting the pharmacy know as much as we can. And I feel like it just works all around for everybody. And like um, Lovejit said, we do ask the patients which pharmacy they prefer. Most patients do use the pharmacy that they just use quite regularly. So on ours, it comes up with the pharmacy that's closest to their address. So we just ask them, are you happy for that pharmacy? Or do you, you know, do you want a different one? And that's how we kind of arrange it. So this is a perfect opportunity to move to Russell now. So say this referral now has left the practice and Courtney's done the bit that she needs to do. So I'd love to now hear then what happens your end? What happens next? Yeah, so when that referral leaves the practice, it arrives in our inbox. We regular check the emails throughout the day. I have it logged in um, at the side of me so that I can see the referral come through. We have to log into Farm Outcomes, which is where our referral information will be sent to. Most of our referrals are from our existing patients, so I'll see a referral come through and I'll recognise the name, um, someone that comes in regularly. We'll make contact with the patient. We have to contact them within a set time period, within two and a half hours. Most of the time, when the referral comes through, I'll ring them straight away. Make contact, ask them to come into the pharmacy. Can they get into the pharmacy today? If they're unable to get in straight away, we don't make scheduled appointments we, we just tell them to pop in when they can, which people like. They know that they can work it around school time, work. On the phone call, we'll check consent with them, happy, make sure they're happy to still come in and see the pharmacist. If it's an over-the-phone consultation, which sometimes that's more appropriate, especially if the patient has COVID and they're ringing to maybe ask something to do with COVID or if, if they're unable to get into the pharmacy for any reason, um, we can do a telephone consultation. When we do invite them into the pharmacy and they can come in um, and be seen in the consultation room, um, it's better being able to see something face-to-face. We have the ability to check the patient medication record if they are an existing patient to go through um, any medicines um, they may be taking. We have access to the summary care record and also, depending on the um, ailment that they want to be seen for, we have access to the clinical knowledge summary from NICE. A typical consultation might involve um, providing advice, printing off an information leaflet for the ailment, um, advising on purchase of over-the-counter medication. Uh, We can contact the surgery and and let them know that we've seen a patient and give the information over to the practice team. If we're unable to, to secure an appointment with the surgery, we have access to NHS 111, where we have a, a set escalation procedure for referring the patient um, to, to be seen, usually on the same day. Oh, that's, I mean, that's a, a whole kind of run through of exactly what you do. So, I, I mean, as, as a GP and knowing how my GP colleagues might um, think and feel, we don't have a massive understanding about what goes into the training of community pharmacists, actually. And I think there's a bit of concern out there that um, how do we know what our patients are getting when we refer there? So I just wanted to go back to Lovejit at this point and, and ask a little bit about the background training that's gone into this, because I, I hear it's quite extensive and, and I think it will be really useful for us all to, to know a bit more about it. 
Yeah, so um, thanks, Joanna. You know, pharmacists have undertaken five years of a master's degree, then they complete another training year, which is really based around um, treating minor illness, providing self-care, and, and particularly for the future, supporting prevention and the management of long-term conditions. So they're experts in medicines and deal with minor illness um, with large number of patients every day, and we have done so for years. So I think that adding this pathway is a sign that NHS England are very confident in the skills that pharmacy can. And at the moment, what we see is nine out of 10 referrals are completed successfully within a community pharmacy without the need for escalation back. So in terms of the recent training, um, there was a competency framework that was put in place by NHS England when the NHS 111 service was launched. And there's also Health Education England, um, CPPE training that the pharmacists can complete the minor ailments element, the Royal College of GPs and the RPS then set further training up to even build confidence further in preparation for community pharmacists to become independent prescribers because that's the next stage, you know, basically training in OSCEs and basically being able to start to manage more complex conditions. So I think that it's fair to say that the amount of training that they've undertaken and just to give you a little bit more information just released yesterday, we've got indications now from the PSNC National pharmacy audit in the number of patients that a community pharmacy is seeing every day and it's in the region of you know 1.6 million was the number that was quoted and a large percentage of these aren't referrals from general practice these are just people that are walking into pharmacy without a referral and those are dealt with very successfully and act as a way for community pharmacy to help take pressure off other parts of the NHS so I'm happy to share that link of, of that report as well. That's really interesting. So basically what you're saying is the community pharmacists have been doing this for years. This isn't new. We've added um, a more formal process for it, um, which will hopefully build uh, great relationships between general practice and community pharmacy. Plus, they've had some additional training. So for those listening who might not know what an OSCE is, that's um, something where um, pharmacists, in fact, a lot of health professionals, when they're in training, have to role play with um, simulated patients um, and then get feedback on there. So it's about their consultation skills, isn't it? And they kind of get lots of training that way. So um, Russell, both you and Lufjid have mentioned that one potential output from the consultation is that you need to escalate and and sometimes that escalation is back to the to the GP practice, isn't it? So I would love to hear now from kind of Courtney's perspective, how, how do you deal with those? What how, how do you know that they've been kind of passed back to the practice and what happens at your practice when that does happen? Um, so personally at our practice we normally get phone calls from the pharmacy. Um, just letting us know this patient does need a prescription they feel like it can't be treated over the counter. Um, so in this case, um, if obviously we have a, G- a GP in, we will task the GP and just explain what the pharmacist has said. They have visited the pharmacy, the treatment can't be bought over the counter, it is needing, say, antibiotics. We'd let the GP know. Sometimes we also ask the pharmacist to send over a copy, so it's just more the doctor can have a look at it and just see what they feel is needed from that. So, yeah, we would usually task our GP to prescribe then. Okay, so I had a lovely experience of this yesterday, which obviously I, I didn't realise was going to happen in preparation for uh, talking about it today. But um, and one of our patients had been um, referred to the CPCS service and then there was a kind of a message back um, from the pharmacist and what was lovely is that I could read the, the the document of all the consultation notes so what's I think great about that is we get used to now don't we I think as 
as GPs and prescribers of people who might be non-prescribers like parent, our community paramedics or our physician's associates, but they've actually got really good clinical skills. You can actually prescribe based on their assessment because you trust their levels of training and their level of expertise. So um, I think in the past we've been a bit wedded to if I'm going to prescribe something, I need to have seen them myself. But I think we're getting into a into a world now where we can trust the skills of the other provider and and when that's all in writing it just gives you that extra level of assurance doesn't it that um um, that there's a documentation pathway there so that's that's really interesting so I'd love a few examples obviously I talked about that one I just had yesterday but I think Russell have you got any particular examples yourself about you know when you think it's worked really well for for either for a patient or for you or or the GP practice yeah so we had um, a patient that came in with um, shingles that have been referred through the CPCS service. Um, I saw the patient in the consultation room. Shingles is something that I'm quite good at recognising. It's something I've seen many times before. Um, I was able to contact the surgery, speak to a receptionist, pass over the information, send through the documentation back through the CPCS service so that it was there on paper also. And the patient was able to have the medication prescribed by the GP and w- was in receipt of the prescription the same day. That clearly saved that practice and appointment and gave the patient a better, well, another option. Absolutely. Later. That's brilliant. Courtney, where have you seen it working particularly well for your practice? Um, at the moment, to be honest, with hay fever. So obviously it's hay fever season. We're constantly having people ringing in, hay fever symptoms. Um, like I said previous, doesn't quite need the GP yet because they've not tried self-care. They've not tried over-the-counter. So yeah, that works so well. They can try the -the over-the-counter. If that works for them, great. Obviously, if they are needing maybe the extra dose, which the pharmacist can prescribe, then they can come back to us. But at least we have that trail that they have tried the pharmacist. They have been given certain medications. If they don't quite work for them, then it will be the doctor. Now, that's a really good example because we find that that people have just tried maybe a single tablet from the supermarket and not got any proper pharmacy advice about how you might combine treatments, eye drops and nasal sprays and and tablets, all of which are available at the counter. But they didn't realise that they they could or, or should use maybe more than one thing if they've got bad symptoms. So. Yeah, I think people forget the roles of the pharmacist. And, and we used to get have tried over the counter and therefore GP, but they, they've, they've not actually tried having a chat with the community pharmacist because I guess they, like us, were a bit unaware of what how skilled that you, know, you all are out there. I think something that does need to be aired, and I know it's a question that often arises, um, for particularly for reception staff when they're um, having a conversation with patients, is about patients who... Um, who don't pay for their prescriptions normally or who might be struggling for money if they're sent to the pharmacy um, and then need to buy something over the counter. I'd, I'd love to hear what, what that, how that pans out in reality, maybe from you first, Russell, what your experience has been since you've been running the, the service. We've had um, one patient through many, many referrals um, that, that wasn't happy to pay for, for an item, in which case the presenting complaint was self-limiting it was it was only suggestion that it might help alleviate the symptoms and we did on the referral back to the the doctors on the when we filled in the documentation to to send the report back we we popped on the advice that was given in the pharmacy and that the patient wasn't happy to pay but the majority of the time patients are able to to see in the pharmacy at the time they come in products we have available for example like Connie said about the hay fever treatments 
really good prices. We're, we're able to offer antihistamines for as little as a pound. And majority of patients are really happy that they've been seen on the same day. They're able to pop in without an appointment and to, to purchase a product to alleviate the symptoms at a good price. Um, everyone leaves happy. Oh, I mean, that's good to hear that it's not a, such a big of a problem from your perspective than you know, it might have been. Corny, what, you, what have you noticed with regard to that? Um, so it's, it can be quite the opposite up here because we are GP practice and it is in a deprived area so it is a barrier, people paying for prescriptions and quite a few times it has come back to us, people can't afford it, they're not willing to pay it. In this case, of course, if they still need that medication, we would ask the GP to prescribe and then it is at the GP's discretion whether they think it is, it is needed to be prescribed. But yeah, we have found that can be a barrier with our patients because of money. Yeah. Okay. Have you got any thoughts on this, Love Chip, from a kind of system perspective? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I concur with the Courtney's point because there have been um, colleagues from primary care networks and general practice colleagues that have been in touch to say that this is creating an issue. So we have gone back to the GM system and there is a GM uh, minor ailment scheme that's in place and it's not been rolled out in all localities. It's not been commissioned in Bolton. I believe in Oldham it is going to come very, very soon. Um, so I've been chasing that for um, Oldham colleagues to make sure. So, I mean, the GM minor ailment scheme, it needs reviewing and that process is ongoing uh, with the GM system at the moment because what we've said as Community Pharmacy Provider Board is that if we can have the minor ailment scheme consistent across all localities in GM and expand the eligibility criteria, actually community pharmacists are more empowered to provide a supply of a medication and it will prevent a referral back. In fact, we've just actually put some views forward about extending the minor ailment scheme and adding a portfolio of PGDs so that, again, we the community pharmacists can complete more a higher higher percentage of the referrals without a need for referral back so all this work is in progress there it has been good progress and it's been rolled out in the majority of localities but there is still some um, tailoring to do to you know to expand the eligibility criteria and ensure that it's consistent so that process is actually being reviewed in preparation for the winter pressures so I have raised this actually just um, this week to say can we accelerate this so that we're in a good place to be able to help each other um, during maybe what will be a critical period in the winter this year as well. That's brilliant to hear. Can you explain PGD? What what, what would that mean? What difference would that make? So having um, patient group directions, they're called, um, gives authorisation. It's a, it's a protocol which community pharmacists follow. Um, a set kind of criteria, set standard operating procedure, and that allows them to supply certain prescription-only drugs through that protocol. But that has to be something that's agreed um, at system level and is signed off by GPs, um, expert clinical pharmacists at GM level. So for let's take, for example, emergency contraception. We have patient group directions to supply emergency contraception as part of a locally commissioned service. So that PGD effectively gives the pharmacist the authorization to work through that protocol and and um and after they have to obviously undergo training and competency assessments etc to make sure that they're trained and prepared to do it but that will allow so for, to give you an example in liverpool you know they've got a portfolio of pgds you know one they've got a uti one for example um, so that actually helps with Febra DX, which helps you identify, for example, if you've got a sore throat, you know, let's check to see if you've got a bacterial or viral infection, and then you're able to supply the medicine through that route. But that needs to be commissioned in order for that to happen. 
Wow, this is, could be a real game changer, couldn't it, for pharmacists and for practices because it allowed the pharmacy to dispense things for nothing for people who get free prescriptions and actually prescribe in a way that would save practices that work, leaving general practices to do what they do best, which is that long-term, continuous relationship-based care for people with more complex needs. So that's, um, that sounds like a great development. And I guess I need to talk a little bit about teething problems because I know that there there obviously are some, aren't they, when you're setting up any new service um, with the pharmacists and practices. And um, and the one I had yesterday was really interesting because the patient still wanted um, a phone call from the GP despite the fact that had an excellent and um, accurate and perfectly effective consultation with the pharmacist. And and it was that somehow they they felt they wanted reassurance more from the GP. So they weren't yet realizing quite how skilled that their pharmacist was so I think think that's probably one of the teething problems I've noticed but I'd love to kind of hear about what what say what you what you noticed Russell what's the what in terms of teething problems as you rolled out the CPCS yeah um so early on in in the in the rollout we had um a few referrals where the the patient was under the impression we could prescribe antibiotics so that that was obviously something where we had to manage expectations. So it was just a, a quick phone call to to the practice and let them know um, that that's something we're not able to do. Um, we were able to um, smooth it over with the patient, just let them know that it's obviously a new service. It's something that's um, that's brand new to all of us, and we're we're gonna. Um, take control of the situation by referring them back to the practice and the patient felt like the the care was continued um they, they weren't left to go and um, find alternative care elsewhere and the practice were able to get them in contact with the prescriber so it, it it's been really good from our end and and as it progresses it's going really well I loved it. From a consistent point of view through the rollout, you must have been aware of a fair number of teething problems because people normally get back to the, the team that have um, rolled it out, don't they, when, they, when they're when they not happy. What kinds of things have people been getting back to you about? So um, one of the things for me, uh, which I want to mention, Joanna, is about relationships and communication. I think every problem that I've seen stems from the relationship you've got with your local general practice um, and also and the communication that you have. So if basically there is a problem, it tends to be two or three things I think are the most common. Number one is the general practice not making an appropriate referral. <laughs> That's one problem. The other bit is from the pharmacy end, not doing things on in the required time frame and not sending the notes back. And from a communication point of view, um, from the patient point of view, it, it's building that culture of the pharmacist is a trained professional and, and encouraging that message on both sides. And I think once the patients had the experience a couple of times, they tend to be happy to go and have a consultation uh, with the pharmacist. So for me, what we've been doing is actually being a mediator, I think, to be honest, between general practice and pharmacy. So we'll say, OK, what's your problem? And then we go back to the pharmacy and say, what's the issue? And actually, it's often because they don't talk to each other. So, for example, we've got capacity pressures both in community pharmacy and general practice so what I encourage people to do is say right 
if the pharmacy's got problems and they've got closures and, you know, everybody's down with COVID, just ring your local practices or agree an email address where you can get in touch with each other for urgent issues. And if the practice has a capacity issue or, you know, they're not happy with the way a a referral was processed, just pick up the phone to your pharmacist and have a chat because actually most of these problems are quite easily, when I've got to the bottom of it, it's actually both sides are right. But actually, it was a, a, an issue where there was a minor issue, like somebody hadn't quite completed the consultation note completely or the practice misunderstood, you know, what the reason was for the referral back. So for me, it's all about good communication and relationships. And I think what I've encouraged is where there have been a few more teething issues. Why don't you just have a call once a week for 15 minutes just to see how each other are doing so that you're kind of monitoring it on an ongoing basis rather than waiting for a number of issues to escalate. But it's absolutely important that both general practice and pharmacy talk to each other. You know, for example, we've got a protocol in place now that says if a pharmacy has an issue with capacity, then get in touch with your local practices and tell them not to send referrals whilst they've got a staffing crisis and let them know when you're ready again to receive the referral. If the problem's more severe, then we ask them to escalate the problem to NHS England regional team, who are the oversight and commissioner for the service, and people can be um, kind of deactivated off the system temporarily if for any reason there's a more longer term issue. So there's a really clear protocol we've put in place um, for pharmacy, but also for general practice. And a lot of people are getting in touch with us. The other issue that has come up, I will say, is the issue in deprived areas where patients don't want to pay for their medication, which has led me to go back to the system and say, well, this is the feedback from five or six clinical directors or practice managers or um, or teams and and we've definitely put that together to say let's try and make this work because Manchester's particular and unique in the amount of deprivation that we actually have and the inequalities here so it absolutely means that we need to do a bit more to get patients the same level of accessibility in other parts of the country but on the whole and what we're seeing over time is a reduction in the number of problems so I think that's a positive sign. It's not that they're not problems, but we are seeing a steady decline in the number of issues. And to give a bit of reassurance to colleagues, in the background, um, the GPCPCS working group also monitor the referrals. So if we see that pharmacy have not actioned referral, they actually do get a phone call to say, by the way, you've got a couple of um, outstanding referrals on your system. What's happening? Can you make sure you do it? Or it gives us a chance to just kind of touch base with the pharmacy to say, is there a capacity issue? Is there something else going on? So so there's a lot of um, ongoing work in the background. We've also engaged area managers. So now we're sending the data of red, amber, green to our area managers for all our groups, independents and, and bigger companies to make sure that they've got ongoing visibility so they can actually help to deliver that message and put, you know, staffing in or whatever that's needed to make this service work. So we've put a lot of measures in place on the basis of the feedback that we've had from general practice over the last 12 to 18 months. That that um, external monitoring is interesting because when you we get bombarded, don't we? I'm sure pharmacists are the same with inputs from different sources. So um, just a normal working day when you're remembering to check your emails and your results and your or your tasks. And, and actually, this is a new thing. And it's quite nice for someone to give you a nudge. Have you remembered to check your referrals if, you know, during those early stages while you're getting into the new habits? So, so you know, it sounds like that's a very positive 
thing. And I, I get a bit concerned about capacity because obviously we're all working at full capacity all the time. And and, and, and Russell, is this just going to be a, a new thing that's going to break our community pharmacists? Are you, you going to um, kind of collapse under the weight of this, do you think? No, absolutely not. Um, the CPCS service is something that we've been providing for around two years now so it's something that we do every day it's em- embedded into practice um, the whole pharmacy team is aware of the referral process and they're able to notify me if someone was to ring up and say I've been referred I have access to my emails all the time at the side of me um, it's, it's something we, we're very well used to doing and look forward to expanding the service. That's good. Something I did hear um, was that pharmacists don't have access to the same translation services that we do in general practice. And I, I wondered what impact that might have on the system. I don't know whether it loved you. Is that one for you to answer or is that is that the case? So there's there's definitely been a couple of incidents that have been fed back to us where there was um, language barriers, you know, for example, um, Eastern European languages or Polish, you know, depend, you know, there was a, there's a wide variety. So what we've done is we've actually gone back um, to commissioners to ask the question as to whether community pharmacy can also have access to translation services. I believe in Oldham that conversation has been progressed and 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 it's it's kind of in you know in progress or you may have already landed. So we've raised that question Joanna for the rest of the system and and it's something that the GM system are looking at at the moment for for community pharmacy. It sounds like it's there's a solution in coming if that is if that is the case. Have you had any particularly teething problems Courtney you've been aware of that you've needed to to overcome? Just really the, the money side of things, so patient okay. not wanting to pay yeah. for prescriptions. And obviously, when we did first start, certain things was getting returned because from the pharmacist that did need a GP appointment, not the pharmacy. And we kind of just learned from it. Right, so for colleagues listening, we want to encourage them to use it, but be mindful that that may be an issue. But there are, from what Love just says, some solutions coming um, what I wanted to do to finish, though, uh, was to get your top tips. So you've all been using it for some time. You've rolled it out. Um, just if just kind of in summarise, maybe just one or two sentences, what would be your uh, for anyone that's not really delved in and properly used it yet? Um, who's listening? What would be your top tip? So I'll start with Courtney. What's your top tip from the frontline reception? Yeah, my top tips 100 percent is get as much information as possible just kind of assess your patient. I mean, we all have certain patients that we know and we know that probably may not be able to use a pharmacy service. So we need to assess that. We need to put as much information in as we can. Um, and we need to kind of weigh up whether they are going to be able to afford the prescriptions other way, otherwise it is wasted. It's just it's just pointless referring them. Um, other top tips is just our complex patients. I wouldn't I would always check if we have complex patients who we know are probably not going to really suit the pharmacist, then I would just try and do that in-house kind of thing. Brilliant. So basically use your best reception care navigating skills to understand all that. Brilliant. Uh, Russell, what, what, what would be your, your top tip to make this work? My top tip would be to contact the patient as soon as you possibly can um, after getting the referral. This gives you time to um, assess a patient if the patient does need to be escalated, it gives you plenty of time to be able to contact the, the GP practice and, if necessary, NHS 111. It also gives the patient time to, to plan their day. If you get a referral first thing in the morning and you ring them straight away, they can um, work out what time is best for them to pop in and see you. Um, so, yeah, um, ring them as soon as you can and make contact. 
Brilliant. And that's good for patients because they love prompt contact, don't they? So finishing off with your your top tip, love Jit. I think for me, the most important tip that I can probably give is is to make sure that your whole team is engaged in the service. So whether you're in a practice or whether you're in a community pharmacy, it's really important to get your care navigators, your receptionists, your practice managers, your GPs. Everybody's in your team, clinical pharmacists now in general practice as well. If you get everybody on board in both sides, it means that even if their staff changes or their sickness or you know something happens, you've got people that understand the service and know that it's there to be used I think at the beginning what we found was that there'd be a champion within general practice or the pharmacy and then the other people wouldn't know so we had to then go out again and say no we need you all to come to the training the second um, top tip I will say this is it's really important to keep speaking to each other like instead of getting frustrated about things and without understanding them just pick up the phone agree a phone number or a time that you can speak to each other for 10 minutes it's sometimes difficult for each set to get in touch with each other because you're so busy with patients but having that back office number or having an email address where you can just quickly you know resolve issues and just highlight it and the more you speak to each other the more the relationship builds and so the little problem doesn't become a big one so I would encourage that um, first and foremost because I think that if the communication's right the engagement's there General practice is making an appropriate referral, just as Courtney's outlined very well. And the pharmacy is actually processing the referral in the agreed time frame, as Russell said, then you can't go far wrong. That's a brilliant place to end. Thank you all so much for sharing all those thoughts with us um, today. My thanks to Lovejit Kandula, Courtney Kenworthy and Russell Nolan for taking the time to chat to us. I hope you found the conversation as fascinating as I did and please tell your colleagues so as many people as possible can find out about the service. You can find out more information by looking at the links on the episode page. And if you have any topics you think we should be covering on this podcast, do let us know on the email on the show page. Next time, we'll be talking about sustainability in healthcare, particularly with regard to inhaler prescribing. Make sure you follow or subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.